This week on the Geek Rex Podcast, it's episode 50. Yes, 50 episodes. I can't believe we made it that far either. And in honor of X-Men Days of Future Past, the entire team joins together to talk about the movie and give you our thoughts and opinions on just how good Brian Singer's return to the X-Men franchise is. Yes, Hannah, Shane, Cal, Harper, and myself are all here. We also talk a little bit about Marvel Studios' worst week ever with the Edgar Wright departure from Ant-Man and Drew Goddard walking away from Daredevil. And last but not least, we give our best pop culture picks of the week. You can find all of our thoughts and opinions on all things geek at geekrex.com. Follow us on Twitter at geek underscore rex and like us on Facebook. Happy Tuesday. I hope everyone had a very good Memorial Day weekend. Um, we didn't do much over here at the Pinion Lodge household. Uh, no. No. Kyle slept a lot. I slept a lot. Um, Hannah put on that Hannibal finale and I was out. Um, <laughs> so if any of you are friends with me on Facebook, you saw my picture of me asleep on the couch or in her lap um, <laughs> as I slept my way through Memorial Day weekend. But uh, did you guys do anything fun, Harper? Did you, did you do anything uh, for the weekend? It was my sister's birthday weekend, so we um, went to a Braves game and uh, went to Agatha's, the uh, the mystery dinner theater thing uh downtown which is was pretty fun it was a game of thrones themed uh like goofy mystery so that was pretty fun oh excellent so uh did did you solve the mystery or how does that work I don't we know. did it was it was ended up being somebody in our party it was my uh my sister's boyfriend <laughs> you, don't, you don't know who's going to be the person until you know they like during the close to the end they bring out the sheet and whisper in the person's ear like I guess you're you're the killer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so you know, it was it was kind of fun. It was very goofy, but uh, we all had a good time. Oh, and did the Braves win? By the way, uh, we did not. Oh, of course not. It's yeah. that sounds like the Braves um, lately, especially uh, losing a number of games in a row. Um, well, that, that that that's great, man. I'm glad you had a good one. How did you, Shane? Did you do anything uh, interesting? Not really. I mean, my family went to go meet Spencer about halfway to between Atlanta and Decatur for dinner on sunday but that's about it awesome awesome where'd you guys go eat uh i don't remember oh we went to some mexican place oh nice well sounds sounds we just good somewhere around where we had met yeah yeah no it makes makes sense cal how about you man a uh, couple friends came over we drank heavily and watched all of season two of arrow very good um so was that the really the best decision weekend ever or what well, you know, it was certainly a better decision than watching season one of Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there is a, a death stroke of a sort in uh, season two of Arrow in costume and all uh, from what little I've seen. But uh, at, uh, I'm glad you had a good time. I don't know if I could make it through that much Arrow in a row. but uh, <laughs> that's, that's where the drinking part comes in. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, uh yeah, that's that. Are you going to watch season three of Arrow at some point? I uh, there's a 2015. So, yep, we have to have a best decision weekend then too. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I wish I wish I could come to such a weekend. That just sounds <laughs> great. I would probably die about four episodes in. I can't I can't watch no TV in a row. No, 
you don't have the tolerance. I don't. Hannah can watch like TV in a row, like nobody's All business. Day. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can't, I can't manage it. Um, anyway, uh, also a big part of uh, Memorial Day weekend for a lot of households uh, throughout the country was the release of X-Men Days of Future Past, which uh, was a movie uh, starring the X-Men. And uh, it was a film that I've actually put up a review. I saw it back uh, Tuesday last week with some friends of mine, and I got a chance to uh, toss up a review very quickly. And I, you know, my thoughts were are pretty well elaborated there. Um, but just to give a summary of the film, and we're going to talk a little bit about it today, I'll give the summary. Basically, it's a continuation of uh, the Brian Singer-verse version of X-Men, uh, X, uh, from X-Men The Last Stand, where the Sentinels have waged war on mutant kind, placing mutants in a Holocaust-like concentration camp across the world, really, a number of them. And in order to defeat this future and, and keep it from happening. Professor Xavier and Magneto, both played by Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen again, uh, send Hugh Jackman's Wolverine into the past using Kitty Pride's, I guess, second mutation powers that apparently send people into the past now. And he then meets with the first class cast that includes James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, playing younger versions of the classic X-Men series characters to prevent this future from occurring at uh, the same time, potentially rebooting this series from the outset. Um, like I said, my thoughts are, and I'll just lay them out there. I enjoyed this film, which I was somewhat surprised I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. And I actually saw it twice. I saw it with Hannah uh, the second time, and I still enjoyed it just as much. I gave it a B on the site. I mean, I, it's a film I still have some problems with, and I can elaborate on them as maybe somebody else brings them up. But on the whole, I thought it was a fairly successful relaunch for the franchise and uh, a way to maybe juice this thing back up. Um, but I'm real curious uh, to get the opinions of everybody else on the team. So I'm going to start with Shane, because I don't know if I've actually talked with you in depth about this, and I don't even think I saw you tweet that much about it. So, no. Shane, what did you think about DOFP, man? Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I, I, I'm a pretty big X-Men fan, I would say. I don't know about like the biggest out of the group, but I'd say I certainly more so than Kyle, I know, because I know you're not huge into X-Men. Nope. Um, so, I, I'm a pretty big X-Men fan going in, and I... Uh, I love First Class. First Class was my favorite X-Men movie going in, um, which I know is crazy to say because everybody's all like, ooh, X-Men 1 or X2 is the best X-Men movie. And not, eh. I mean, they're good, but First Class is, I think, my favorite. That's definitely cast-wise because I've never enjoyed Halle Berry or Hugh Jackman or anybody like that. I will say Hugh Jackman's gotten better, but it took seven movies for him to get better. <laughs> uh, but... Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and without going into too much detail at the moment, um, it's it's either tied right now, or it'd take about a second or third watching, but for the moment it's tied with X-Men First Class as my favorite X-Men movie, but it could be end up being my favorite. Okay. Uh, Hannah, you have an interesting perspective, because the rest of us are all comic book nerds, 
Um, so we have some like grounding in what the X Men are, and we have some expectations about the X Men, but you really don't at all. So I have a much more apathetic stance. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of drag her to these superhero movies. <laughs> um, but what did you think about the movie? I mean, I, you you also hated the Wolverine. It should be said. Oh, so. that movie was the worst. I can't <laughs> believe you like that one still. But um, <laughs> this one was a lot better than that one. Um, I haven't seen all of the. The last series, you know, I think I saw the first one. Maybe I saw the second one. And then I saw First Class, and I liked it better the first time I saw it than I did the second time. Um, This one I thought was probably the better of the ones I've seen. Um, There was just more going on. I wasn't bored. And there were fewer, like, really bad, awful characters and actors than what I remember from the other series. So. Yeah, it was good. Were you confused at all by things? I mean, did, did did everything seem clear? The only thing that confused me was it seemed like in the future, everyone was banding together. I was confused about Mystique, like if she was dead in the future or because I don't think those experiments killed her because she was in the other movies, but I didn't know where she was or maybe they mentioned that. And I just completely missed it. She actually lost her powers in the third movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Although Magneto got his back, but she yeah, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so Magneto is, has the power of Ian McKellen. That's why he got his powers back, apparently. So she just became a regular human, or yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, she got maybe a mention of that would have been helpful because I was like, are we supposed to think she was actually tied up and experimented on and killed, and the first couple movies never happened, or what's that was the only thing I just had no idea about. Well, I think the point was to not mention the third movie very much. And I yeah. think that might have been the end goal here. Yeah. Um, Harper, I'm going to go to you now. What did you think of this film? All right. Uh, for the for the trademarked Harper uh, enthusiasm, I, I would say I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, this this was definitely my favorite of the X-Men movies um, after First Class. I, I was um, with you, Shane, on that. First Class was definitely my favorite uh, up till this point. Um, to me, it felt like one of the first real kind of comic book, comic book movies. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a movie that was based on a comic book. It felt like a comic book to me in a lot of ways that it had a, you know, possibly overly complicated plot, uh, that was just a, a, you know, kind of a blast to figure out and, and see how it all worked out. And, um, I thought the characters all worked really well together. And it was a, I think the thing that I really, uh, drew me to it a lot, maybe, really keep thinking about it is that to me this feels like the first superhero movie that doesn't have a villain really necessarily it's more about kind of paving the way for a better future than it is for you know there's this bad guy and we have to stop him although there's there's obviously some somewhat of that with uh trask but he's such a he's almost made into such a minor character it's more about making the good guys better than they are um and i found that really fascinating um and i thought it was a visually really fun movie as well so i i gave it Two thumbs up for sure. Nice. Uh, and Cal, round us out. Uh, I liked it. Um, it's not my favorite of the X-Men movies. First Class is still that. And actually, I, I find it funny that uh, you would point to this as a very comic booky movie, when for me, that was the strength of First Class, is it's the only X-Men movie that felt like an X-Men comic to me. Um, this one was very... It had all that signature Brian Singer dourness that uh, just doesn't fit the franchise well with me. Um, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. I, I'm not sure how well the story hangs together, but like uh, a, a few a number of the set pieces were a lot of fun. 
There were a lot of interesting visuals. It was exciting throughout, and they did a really good job, I thought, uh, focusing on focusing all the drama on just four main characters that we actually care about and relegating everyone else to, at best, cameo role. Yeah, um, I, t- I tend to notice like there was a doubling down on the, on the first-class cast that worked. They basically took McAvoy... Holt, to an extent, though it seems like he was basically relegated to pushing Xavier's wheelchair around. Um, uh, Fassbender, who I actually thought was a little underused, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who was you know makeup in a in a you know in an acting role basically. Yeah. But uh, they seemed to focus on them, and everyone else got the axe. I don't know if y'all noticed that one particular line of dialogue where they yeah. just like Banshee's yeah. dead and uh, Emma instead Frost of them just dead. being gone, no, they all died. <laughs> right, you even, got, you even got a picture of Azazel, or as Hannah calls him, Red Devil Guy. Uh, call Devil. Yeah, Devil Guy. Um, <laughs> the one that I, I actually liked a lot in First Class. He ended up uh, getting autopsied, too. But it's funny you guys mentioned First Class so much in a positive light. I'm actually probably the one person here that doesn't like that movie very much. Um, and mainly because of the things that don't work about it, and its second half particularly. Though I do like its aesthetic value, and that it's probably the only X-Men movie where they wear costumes and they look somewhat like the X-Men that uh, show up in the comic book pages. Um, so there's a little bit of a mixture of I like the look, but I don't like the script. Whereas with this film, I preferred the script, but I wasn't so crazy about the uh, Blade Runner dark future look of some of those later scenes. But for the things that worked for you in this film, I'm just curious, I'm going to throw it out there. Would you say that it was Simon Kinberg's script that made everything kind of work, or is it more the performances of the actors? And uh, I'll go reverse order, Cal, because you seem to note that Brian Singer may have actually been an issue for you versus what works. So I'm curious what it was that made the film appeal to you on the positive side. Uh, on the positive side, I, th- I think the two things that made it work for me were the cast and uh, the effects team. Um, like, as shallow as that sounds, like, this was a movie that, for me, lived and died on its set pieces because I, I didn't think the script was terribly great and I didn't think the direction was terribly great. But uh, seeing uh, Blink fight the Sentinels, for example, was just a ton of fun. Like, it was visually very clear what was going on. It was exciting. It was exciting. It was weird. It was unpredictable. And it was the same thing with uh, uh, Quicksilver's fight. Like, the, the effects teams had two tough set pieces there, and I thought they nailed them both. And as for the cast... Uh, as you say, they doubled down on the first class cast, and I, I think that they all rose to the occasion. I think that they did a great job uh, grounding the movie, and it felt like, I think in part because McAvoy and Fassbender are very soulful actors, it felt like it had a lot more emotion than it probably actually had. So, Harper, let me let me ask you on your side of things. What I mean, would you say that it was the story you enjoyed? I mean, do you think it's Brian Singer coming back that makes this thing work at all, or are you are you with Cal that it's really more about just how the action was done? I I, I will say I did like the action a lot, uh, in particular the Quicksilver scene was really fantastic. Um, but I actually did enjoy the script a lot. Um, I thought that 
the the way they put everything together was was pretty clever and i think that um particularly in the the third act uh where they're really bouncing back and forth between the the past and the future was i was really surprised how kind of intense it was um i really found myself pretty on the edge of my seat for a lot of it which i not not usually in these kind of movies um so I, I thought that was pretty impressive. Um, and I will say on the cast side, um, although everybody did, did a decent job, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that I have a, a huge standout with the exception of uh, Evan Peters as Quicksilver, uh, yeah. particularly uh, despite the fact that we all were ready to just laugh at that because the costume was so ridiculous in the, the, um, the magazine pictures we saw before. But he was probably the best part of the movie, I think. Um, which was, may be, yeah, maybe why he stands out so much because we were all expecting to hate it so right. much. Right, but he was really actually very funny and entertaining, and it and it played off really well. I thought they they made that kind of manic, um, kind of that kind of humor that could have gotten old really quick actually worked really well for me. I found myself kind of you know smirking at a lot of the stuff that uh, that was going on there. Yeah, um, Hannah, how about yourself? I mean, one thing I know you pointed out to me at the beginning of the film was that you really enjoyed that very first action set piece. Yeah, I really liked how the movie opened. Um, You know, the story was good overall. My only problem with the story was Wolverine's involvement. Yeah. I feel like it it was just like this unnecessary thing they threw in that I think took away from everything else somehow. Right. And like you and I talked about, I feel like they really missed an opportunity to use Ellen Page instead of make this another thing about Wolverine. There was just too many like witty bantery men, you know, and that was it. (laughs) Like, so that was my one issue with it. It just felt like he was kind of forced in there in a strange way. Um, But other than that, I thought the story was super clever. Yeah. I think I agree with you on the idea that it was a lost opportunity. And Cal and I talked about this very briefly online uh, prior to the show was that it would have been pretty neat to see Ellen Page as action movie star. Um, yeah, I mean, because Quicksilver was refreshing because he was a little different than these brooding, kind of angry, you know, dominant men, alpha men. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, Wolverine was just another one of those when I felt like Ellen Page or anybody else being in that role could have offset it a little better. Yeah, uh, Simon Kinberg, the screenwriter, he pointed out the reason he u- they utilized Wolverine, and this is, of course, more of a CY. It's bullshit. I know, I know, I know. The reason they used him is because Hugh Jackman. I know that, I know that. That's the real reason. But here, his, his rationale is that he wanted to utilize Logan as a counterpoint to Charles Xavier uh, counseling him in the first film. It's sort of like this idea of he's coming back into the past to now counsel Charles Xavier. So that's his reasoning for it. I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with it uh, because I would much rather have Kitty Pride. It felt well, like just a star move, like, because he's such a big star. Their other reasoning, too, is that Kitty Pride would be like negative 20 years old. Yeah. <laughs> well, they could have explained it however they want. You know, if they decided True. that they wanted Ellen Page, they would have made up some strange science or time travel rules that completely made sense if, if that was the route they went. They, yeah. I think they write to the actors they choose to use, not the other way around. Yeah. yeah. Let's not pretend like uh, having Ellen Page send Wolverine back in time made any sense exactly. at all. <laughs> <laughs> because he's immortal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, Kitty Pride. for, I, I know so little about the X-Men, but she does not have that power. I know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, <laughs> they, they retrofit the story to the choices they make with the actors, is what I'm assuming. 
I need to go back and reread the two issues that are Days of Future Past because I don't don't remember their explanation as to why Kitty Pride's able to go back in time. It would have been messed up because in the first movie she was like their age and stuff, and right. they could have worked it out. They they would have if they wanted. Right, she could have just physically gone into yeah. the past. Right. I mean, I mean, you're dealing with a, a universe where people can have superpowers, so yeah. why not just give somebody a time travel power? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it it's silly, but um, yeah. So Shane, Brian Singer's return, welcome return, or um, what? Well, I, th- I think it's interesting because I can agree with Cal that the action is one of the highlights of this movie, which is really, it's interesting to see like all these movies we've had so far this summer, even going back to Captain America, as divisive as a lot of them have been, the action seems to be the one thing everybody can agree on has been executed well in, across all of these movies. And with this movie, like in, I think with this movie and with Godzilla and with Captain America, I think that does come from the director's standpoint more so. With Spider-Man, it feels more like that was more of a studio-made movie than a director's movie. But X-Men, it felt like the director, I don't know how much different it would have been without Brian Singer, so I don't know that I would give him complete credit for all this. I would say the cast is the biggest draw, but I would say Simon Kimberg deserves credit for uh, making a story that could have potentially backfired big time, working really well, even though... I think he went a little overboard with having to explain every 15 to 20 minutes why they were going somewhere. I, I think he needs to give his audience a little bit more credit than that. But I think they they pulled off what could have really been a disaster to explain, um, even though, as we've all kind of pointed out again and again, this is the flimsiest time travel explanation for probably any time travel movie ever. <laughs> but... Um, that being said, um, I think the cast is really strong. Um, as we've all kind of pointed out, they kept the best of first class. And then the ones that you don't care about from the original cast are in it so briefly, or they get killed in such a brutal way that you're actually okay with them being in it. So, like, I was okay with seeing Halle Berry try and be Storm one more time because I got to see her get stabbed. So it was fine. Um, <laughs> you're, you're so but, loving, Shane. Uh, I, I liked Bishop. Bishop was my favorite of all the ones we saw in the future. All the other ones I could not care less about. Like, I forgot that that girl's name was Blink. I was just calling her Portal Girl the whole time. I, I liked Portal Girl. Me too. Was cool, so. <laughs> I mean, I was like, somebody's been playing a lot of Portal to be uh, coming up with this mutant. Because, uh, like, she totally did something you, that you have to do in the game to propel yourself further to Colossus. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, and then Sunspot, which is funny because I read how Spencer interviewed the guy who played Sunspot, my brother. Um, he interviewed that guy and then the guy's like talking so much about how he got into real character for that and i don't think he had a single line in that entire movie i didn't even know he was in it when where was sunspot he's the guy who was on fire he was the human torch type uh, guy yeah. the most worthless guy he kept spraying fire at those things even though <laughs> they would they always like, just uh... turn like it's a metal <laughs> right. yeah i mean uh, poor colossus had one line and he yeah. said he said mystique that is the to only fair, word he said the entire fair, movie about as much as he had in the other X-Men movies. Um, yeah. it's, it's, uh, you know what? I don't like the X-Men that much, but I always loved Colossus. He was my favorite. He was the guy that turned into metal. Um, I love that. He said Mystique? Yeah, I think so. I think that might have been the he's, one thing yeah, he said. Yeah, he said like one thing. Yeah, yeah. one word in the entire um, movie. Basically anyway, finishing a sentence. Um, yeah, I think the cast is really strong. Um, I can agree why they chose Hugh Jackman, but I would say this is actually, this and the Wolverine are the only movies I actually loved Hugh Jackman and Wolverine in, which is really odd. But uh, to touch on the script for just a second, because I know somebody, I think it was Harper, mentioned like some of the witty banter, or maybe it was Hannah. Um, but uh, th- there was there were a few little jokes about the future that I liked, but the one that just stood out as being like, why did why on earth did you put this line in there? Is when Magneto looks at Wolverine and he goes, 
what if those claws were made out of metal? It's like, <laughs> okay. Like, why was Magneto thinking about that? Like, that why is that lame. the first thought in his head? That was that was just way too much of a wink and a nudge for me. Yeah, I, I, I took that as almost like trying to explain to people who didn't know what was going on that, like, his claws had changed, maybe. I guess. But you know what? That, that would be par for the course of this entire script, because as Shane mentioned... Every 15 minutes, there was exposition That's what I'm saying. to explain, yeah. you know, exactly we, what you're we saying. have, like, the, the stuff at the beginning's fine, like, with, okay, Mystique caused all this, we have to stop her. I was like, okay, that's fine. And I'm even fine with Wolverine having to explain it to Xavier at first. But then they're like, okay, well, now we have to go get Magneto. And, they get <laughs> Magneto. and they're like, well, Magneto, now we have to go to Paris because we have to stop Mystique because she's going to cause this. And then they get to Paris, and they're like, all right, now remember, guys, we're here to stop Mystique, because she's going to do something. <laughs> and then they get to Mystique, and she's, they're like, hey, Mystique, you don't need to do this, because you're going to cause something bad to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's pretty endless. They do do that a lot. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's funny, I, because I felt like every set piece was so propulsive in between, I almost was able to overlook it after a while. Right. I just became dulled. To the, to the over-explanations. I, mean, I guess if, like, you're, like, five years old and, like, or somebody who doesn't really like comic book movies and you got drugged to this, that's helping to make you remember what's going on. But for everybody else, it's, like, respect your audience a bit more to give, give them a bit more credit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me ask you this, Cal, um, since uh, I, I, I wanted to ask you first. As far as this film being an effective restart for the X-Men franchise, because by the end, we end up back basically with X-Men status quo on both ends. You've yeah. got um, you've got the, the past team getting ready to set up for their 80s heyday team with a young Storm, I guess, young Cyclops, young Jean Grey. And then on the far end, you've got Cyclops, Jean Grey, and everybody alive in their older incarnations. I will say that was a cameo that they hid very well. Like, I was not expecting that at all. I was surprised that didn't leak out that Scott and Gene were in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, Cal, um, I'm just curious. I mean, do you think it's an effective restart for this franchise at all? Does it make you more interested in what's what's coming up for X-Men? Um, on the one hand, it, it definitely does. I mean, uh, it was it was a good way to move forward. And I do like the... I do like making these X-Men movies from here on out, at least for the next however long uh, period pieces. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, I'm nervous about the next one because Days of Future Past, the story was written by the first class writers. The screenplay was written by Kinberg. And for those who don't know Kinberg, he's written four or five of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, this, mean, this means war. You remember that movie? This oh, means war, yeah. Jumper, X-Men, The Last Stand, and Triple X, State of the Union. Ooh, what a resume. <laughs> maybe he's, bound, maybe he's, finding his, his, uh, he's finding his rhythm here, Cal. Maybe, but like I'm just I'm I'm worried because I suspect that the bones of what we liked were in the story written by Matthew Vaughn and Jane Goldman, and Kinberg just added some banter and refocused it on Wolverine or something, and he's going to be pretty much solely in charge of X Men Apocalypse, and that's got me nervous. What I hear. And this is just what I hear is that what Kinberg added was the time travel stuff at Singer's behest. Um, 
all of the stuff with JFK's assassination and everything that's like 70s based, like the setting and why Magneto's in jail, that all came from Goldman and Vaughn's original uh, treatment. But I don't know. That's that's internet rumors. So I have no idea what the the truth of it is. It does seem odd that a, a fairly nice script, not a great script, but a nice repulsive script was written by a guy who's just written shit after shit after shit. Well, in fairness, everyone gets their start somewhere, and a lot of writers have movies attached to their names that, first movies that they regret or hate or barely recognize at the end is theirs. And, yeah, and I was just looking at Wikipedia to look up what else he wrote. He also wrote Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr., and I actually liked that movie, so... Yeah, but the script was bad. Like, that was another... No, like, I, don't, I, I disagree. I, I like that I movie too. I, I like that movie too, but that was another one where it worked because of the cast and because of the direction in spite of the script. Uh, to me, like, I, it doesn't hang together as a mystery. It doesn't hang together as a thriller. It, it's just kind of shapeless and there. So basically, your, your argument, Cal, is that the film works because of its cast, not because of what actually structured the film originally, right? Uh. Yeah, I think the the time travel stuff, like as fun as it was, doesn't actually make a lick of sense at any point. Yeah, sure. And it, I mean, took me out of the movie repeatedly. And I mean, as 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 much as I'd like to give Kinberg another shot, he's just failed so often that it hurts to do so. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I don't disagree. Harper, let me ask you this question then. I mean, does this give you more excitement for X-Men as a franchise? Because we used to be in the doldrums about this thing. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I was, I've been on ups and downs about this movie for a long time, as we've kind of talked about it during development. Um, I was a huge fan of First Class, so I was really thrilled about the fact that they were going to continue with that cast in some way. And then uh, when Vaughn left, I was kind of disappointed. I wasn't as big of a singer fan as, as I was of, of uh, First Class, for sure. Um, and then seeing those cast photos, I was like, okay, well, you know, and then, you know, it became kind of a joke and, and we all talked about it and, uh, and then, but then going to see it, it was just, it was such a thrill. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I really like the way they've kind of put the universe back together. They undid, undid a lot of the mistakes that they, that, uh, well, that Kinberg himself did, um, in X-Men three. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'd say I'm pretty excited actually about, about, uh, the potential of the franchise. And I want to talk about that very last scene and what, you know, maybe some positing about what we think might happen here in a second. But we do keep mentioning cast highlights. And I I will say for my part, I can't think of many cast highlights regarding this film, Um, which is one of the problems I have with it um, is that I like the story. I like the action set pieces. I thought it was a lot of fun in a popcorn way. But other than James McAvoy... I actually kind of felt like not many people had much to do um, because there was just so much attention paid to, you know, the rudderless Wolverine plot or to uh, Mystique's uh, you know, assassination plot. And all she had to do basically was stretch her legs around a lot. Um, so I didn't feel like she got a whole lot to do, not a lot of dramatic weight to pull. And even Michael Fassbender felt underused. And one thing I'm going to say, and this is just my opinion, maybe you guys disagree with me. If you underuse Peter Dinklage, that is a crime. And I just, I, I got nothing out of Peter Dinklage's Bolivar Trask. But maybe you guys were able to grasp something more out of this character. I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I don't really have an opinion about Peter Dinklage either way. But what did you think about the character, though? I mean, did you think that, that was fine. a good villain? I mean, 
I think the Sentinels were more of a villain than he was. But I mean, yeah. he wasn't. I mean, it's X Men. Everybody hates mutants for some stupid reason. That's kind of <laughs> just the name of the game. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say that I, I I would disagree with that because I think he was just a regular guy. You know, he was a scientist, and this was his interest that he was researching, and he didn't have to be like. I don't know, like Green Goblin or some crazy dude, like thank you, Thanks. you know. And they didn't have to like and they avoided, you know, making the fact that he was a dwarf part of his story, which I appreciated. And yeah. he was just he was just a guy who was doing this research because he believed in it. Maybe that's all you needed to know, you know. Damn, we just missed our chance for a Harper Green Goblin impersonation too. But do it, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Spider-Man. <laughs> well done, well done. So sir. you know they could have gone in that direction and they didn't, which I appreciate. He wasn't mad scientist; he was dude who's developing research. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, I just, maybe it was because I just sometimes need a little bit of mustache twirling in some no. of these. Uh, <laughs> and isn't that weird? I know because I yeah, usually hate little. that, but there was just something flat about this. That it was driving me crazy throughout. Well, I don't think he was supposed to feel like a, a full-on bad guy. He was. No. Everybody was supposed to feel like someone that they, they thought they were doing the right thing, which is right. much more realistic than I'm evil and I want all the money uh, and everyone to die. As much as yeah, as much as the latter of those two scenarios is much more common in comics, um, it, villains are always a lot more interesting when they don't think they're villains. Yeah. Um, okay, so Cal, you're a big Game of Thrones guy. Harper, you are too. Were y'all okay with Peter Dinklage? Uh, Cal, you first. Uh, I, I agree that he was wasted. Lar- not because he wasn't over the top enough, just because he wasn't there enough. I mean, really, he only had one thing to do. I'd be shocked if he was in more than maybe 15 minutes of screen time, the whole thing. Um... I, I do agree. I liked that they underplayed kind of who the villain was. I think the biggest pro- the the biggest reason I left dissatisfied with the amount of with with the amount of Dinklage I was given um, is because they, they they really marketed him as the big villain, and so I was expecting to see this big awesome Dinklage role, and instead <laughs> he was a pretty pretty minor character all things considered yeah i that that and i think maybe that might be my disappointment maybe. i would agree more of him yeah yeah no 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 I, that that maybe that is the underlying problem i couldn't put my finger on it but i don't know harper what do you think man I, i'm kind of along the same lines i don't i really didn't feel disappointed with it um kind of because like i said I, I felt like the reason one of the big reasons i liked it was because there wasn't a big villain i would have been i would have le- liked the movie a lot less if he had come off as this as such a supreme bad guy instead of just he, he did have a couple of uh, decent scenes where he kind of explained his point and he felt uh, like you said Hannah he felt a little bit more human because he wasn't just a uh, you know evil for evil's sake he had a kind of a, a reasoning behind him um, that wasn't quite so uh, you know fake as um, as first class uh, what's his name um, Kevin Bacon <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> that, that was pretty cooked up and I didn't care then but uh, this you know because it was a movie more about kind of destiny and and you know how we can make a better future i was i was far more invested in that than than with him in in the first place so i was okay with it well i'm just so into brian cox i guess that that, that <laughs> that's what i'm always looking for uh, he, is, great. he was great i i, lo- I loved him and yeah. he's been too he, yeah. he is probably like aside from ian mckellen he's probably the best villain they've had in 
this series. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, this movie wants to remind you of him a bunch of times, especially when they I show. I felt stupid for not realizing that was supposed to be him the entire time. <laughs> well, you know, it uh, they, when they cast a guy that looks like Stifler from American Pie, <laughs> who looks nothing like. I mean, I knew he was supposed to be somebody, and like there was even a part where I was like, "Well, is he a mutant?" Because like the looks he was given in that scene in like the bunker where the mutant thing was going off, and like. We're supposed to think mistake, but the, he was making this face. I was like, well, is he secretly a mutant? And then, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think they could have taken that guy out and taken Wolverine out and taken all his sadness about Jean Grey for the billionth time. And I've only seen a couple of these movies. <laughs> and that's all I can think about when I see that guy is him being all mopey and stuff. Maybe now that she's alive, he'll be okay in the next Wolverine Maybe movie. he won't be in any more of these X-Men movies. No, they are making another Wolverine movie. Wolverine so. Wolverine well, a Wolverine movie, movie but X-Men. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's, I I will not be shocked if he shows up in Apocalypse. Um. So let's talk about the future real quick then, uh, before we wrap this discussion yeah, let's, up. Let's talk about how that after credits scene was probably like if you like I think that's all I tweeted about. It. You said you didn't see me tweet much about the movie. That's all I said about it was if you thought Thanos was something only the fans would get, just wait till you see what X Men Days of Future Past has. I did have to explain it to Hannah. Um, yeah, and I was like, "What the hell is happening?" <laughs> um, I, I will, I will express my aggravation with that after credit scene because it literally was just an advertisement for the next movie, rather than having anything organically to do with the film that preceded it. Um, if it had, if the ramifications of time travel had had something to do with Apocalypse yeah. showing up and building the pyramids, Which then I might have. Well, maybe. You just haven't seen it. <laughs> maybe you might be right, and I, I won't. I won't sit here and say that's a plot hole yet. But other, but otherwise, something that happened in you know four hundred, four thousand BC or whatever it was, um, really shouldn't have had any effect on something that happened in nineteen seventy three A.D. But yeah. that was my one aggravation with it. Maybe, maybe it is. That actually makes a lot of sense. Like some kind of rift in space-time causes Apocalypse to show up. That makes a lot of sense. You heard it here first. Hey, I, if if Shane, Shane's got a prediction... Um, and I, no, it's I, based on information you gave me. So. <laughs> oh, it is? Um, but you well, what, said, what you were just talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. You basically posited that. Oh, I posited this thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so know. you're the prediction here, not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't get the people saying this. the next movie's going to be Age of Apocalypse because... That's another time travel story and another alternate future story. Well, we already know we already know what's going to happen. It's a 1980s X Men movie uh, that's going to star Channing Tatum as Gambit and younger, but potentially younger versions of the original X Men cast, right. along, with along with James McAvoy and maybe Michael Fassbender. If Michael uh, Fassbender sticks contra- around, he's contracted for three films, so um, he, he pretty much has to. So, Cal, let me ask you: What do you think about that end credit scene, man? Um. It existed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> it's it's out there. I can't dispute that. And um, I'm interested in Apocalypse. I mean, I, I think like a lot of people who got into comics when I did, Age of Apocalypse was one of yep. the first comics I ever read. So good. And it, it was one of the things that really helped get me into it when I was in high school, get me into just comics and superheroes in general. And so I'm excited. I think there's a lot of interesting things they could do. Although, um, I mean, obviously they aren't going to do the whole age of apocalypse thing. I, I, I'm not sure a hundred percent. I think Brian Singer's quoted as saying that uh, X-Men apocalypse is going to be like a disaster movie. So they're going to try and frame yeah, it. Ken, Kenberg said it was going to be on this is a horrible comparison, which made me almost dread the movie. But he said, it's going to be like a Roland Emmerich movie. 
Yeah. And that's, that's what I heard too. And I mean, that's, I'm not sure how they're going to differentiate that from every superhero movie that destroys fucking city of Han city, but I'm interested to see where they take it at least, I guess. Yeah. Um, how about you, Harper? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same mind. I, it, it wasn't, you know, the, the, the inner comic book nerd in me got a little excited, but it was a terribly, uh, un, um, unconnected, uh, end scene for sure and uh it's not dark side and it's not thanos but it's a guy who looks a whole lot like him <laughs> so <laughs> well, don't get that confused a very skinny young version though apparently uh right. that i that i thought was a girl the first time i saw that scene <laughs> i've had a few people say that um which would be an interesting take too actually i wouldn't i wouldn't uh turn that down um so i will say that i thought it was exciting for me too because i like uncanny x-force and I like Apocalypse, and he plays a huge role, especially that concept of Apocalypse. Um, so I'd love for some of that to sort of seep into whatever gets developed in uh, this new X-Men movie. But, um, you know, it, it all comes down to the Kinberg, and uh, who knows how this is going to be handled uh, long term. But, uh, you know, it, I believe, it, it, uh, there's something to get excited about. Michael Doherty's writing it as well. Oh, that's good. He's um, an X2 screenwriter, yeah. Yeah, and Trick or Treat. So, yeah, I think he's helping write it as well. So that that's at least a, hopefully a positive. Well, let's wrap this discussion up because we're running out of time on this one. So, um, Harper, give me a grade. And um, I think you already said where it ranks for you in the X-Men franchise, right? You said it was probably your number one favorite X-Men film at this point. Yeah, de- definitely my number one, and I'd probably give it an A. Okay. And Cal... Um, number three, probably. And, um, I'd probably give it a B plus B B plus thereabouts. What's it, what's it behind uh, X2 and X-Men first class? Uh, X-Men first class is my number one. And then the Wolverine. Ah, ah. Hannah, Hannah's gripping me hard on that one. <laughs> <laughs> she hated that movie. She should have been on that podcast with us. Um, Hannah, I, I haven't seen enough. Great, great though. Um, B. B. That's that's what I did. And Shane, give me your grade, bud. Uh, I'm gonna go same as Harper. It's my favorite X Men movie, and it's an A. All right. Well, uh, X Men: Days of Future Past made about 110 million dollars over the four day weekend. If you haven't seen it. It's highly recommendable for a fun time, if nothing else. And at the very least, it probably has set uh, the X-Men franchise on a pretty interesting course. So uh, check it out at a theater near you. The weekend brought some sad news, too, and it was right before the weekend hit, and we were about to head out the door when the news broke loose over Twitter and everywhere else that uh, one of the films I know I was personally most most looking forward to in 2015, Edgar Wright's Ant-Man, will no longer be a thing. Uh, Edgar Wright, due to creative differences, according to Marvel Studios in the official press release, has left the production with a director to be announced. Um, So yeah, this was very difficult news to hear because for me, at least this was the promise of a new authorial voice coming into Marvel studios, maybe slightly monochromatic directorial output. 
so I was very excited to see what a fresh filmmaker like Edgar Wright could bring to the project. Um, Harper, when you heard that news, my friend, what went through your mind? Uh, I was about as disappointed as you were probably, but I also felt like it was kind of expected. Um, I mean, the fact that we've heard so little about it, but it, and yet it's been on the on the plate for so, so long, um, you know, it just makes you feel like something's been going on behind the scenes that, that's not terribly good. Um, and, and like you said, the fact that they do have this kind of, you know, for better or for worse, Marvel does have kind of a formulaic uh, strategy that is, has worked very well for them in, in a lot of ways. Um, but it almost seems like there's not a place for more kind of unique uh directorial vision there and this this kind of solidifies that which is a little bit disappointing cal uh you were feeling very strongly about it as soon as it broke out yeah um i mean i've i've obviously had some problems with the whole uh i guess with the homogenous nature of a lot of the marvel uh cinematic universe movies uh i've liked almost all of them but I'm also definitely getting tired of them, especially since the the ones that I like a lot, I'll go back and rewatch. And I feel like uh, Edgar Wright is one of the best young filmmakers, uh, like the best kind of up and coming filmmakers working today. He's made three movies that I absolutely love and one that I very much enjoy he's just a really good writer and this was a passion project for him going back all the way to 2006. He's been working on this since 2006. And, um, one of the things that really had me worried was the, the new or the rumor I should say, uh, that I've heard from a few different sources online that it was actually Disney executives that forced him off. Um, Marvel uh, initially was willing to let him do his own thing, but Disney execs uh, basically went over even Kevin Feige's head and basically had the script rewritten to tie in more to the Avengers and Wright hated the new script and walked. And that level of interference from not even just Marvel, but from Disney is something that really concerns me going forward. Um, if that kind of thing continues, I, I wouldn't, I'd be shocked if they made it all the way through phase three, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I personally, and I'll just kind of put my take in again here. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if 2015 is sort of the last peak of Marvel Studios, if this is like the thing we're looking towards as the future of what they're working at. I mean, they can't... It seems to me like they, after the success of the Avengers, they really went out of their way to hire people that write a lot like Joss Whedon. Mm -hmm. Um, Drew Pierce is a very Joss Whedon-like writer, and not in a bad way. Uh, He's a very strong writer. I like his work, but he writes in a similar kind of snarky kind of quick paced tone like Joss Whedon does. Uh, they hired a very fanish friendly director in uh, Alan Taylor to take on uh, the Thor, the dark world. And that guy's never coming back again, by the way, after Patty Jenkins had already said she's not, you know, had already quit Thor, the dark world. And then they hired the guys from community, the Russo brothers to take over Captain America as a franchise. Again, very funny, 
kind of uh, quick paced stuff. So there, you can see a trend building there to sort of build their franchise in a sort of in a sort of Whedon like uh, way, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, you don't want everything to sound exactly the same. Am I right, Hannah? I mean, they do obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, I I. I can see at a higher level the the branding mission they seem to have with these, and I understand it, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, in the left hand, you've got a movie that someone's been thinking about for the last seven years and pouring his heart into, or eight years, however long, and then you've got a movie that has been incepted about four or five weeks ago, potentially, and then will be shot, you know, weeks after that, and of course, I'd rather have what's in the left hand. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's definitely problematic. Uh, and who knows who they're even going to pick at this point, this late in the juncture. It's, it almost doesn't matter if their vision is that specific. Right. It, it could be uh, Kevin Feige could be directing this damn thing himself, which some have argued he used to do uh, prior to Joss Whedon coming on board and doing all the script pass throughs. But Shane, uh, your thoughts? Um, I, I My reaction was a bit like Harper's. I was like, I'm... I'm not surprised at all. And it's more because, and I've heard different rumors as to why he left. Um, obviously we're not going to know for sure until not till Marvel speaks out more fully. I think it's when Edgar Wright finally decides to speak out more fully. That's when we'll really know what happened. And obviously he doesn't want to speak too ill of Marvel because there's, they're owned by such a big company now that it could potentially harm his future. If he speaks too ill of something as large as Disney, but, um, I think once we hear from him is when we'll know for sure. So it's really hard to discuss why this is a good or a bad thing on Marvel's part and what this says about Marvel when we don't really know all the details. Because the rumor I've heard is one that feels just as believable as the one Cal said is that Edgar Wright was just taking too long. And as y'all been saying, this is a movie he's been working on since 2006. And Marvel's made how many movies since 2006? Um Edgar Wright, like, he puts out a great product. I mean, World's End is one of my favorite movies of all time, mostly just because of how Douglas Adams-like it is. But I I love it, and I love Scott Pilgrim, and I love Hot Fuzz, and I love Shaun of the Dead, but he took forever to make those movies. And and it's like I said on Twitter, and I know you responded to me a bit, Kyle, about it. It's Once Marvel said that movie was coming out in 2015, that was when it was going to come out, whether or not Edgar Wright wanted it to. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly feel like this was inevitable. I, and with, with how slow Edgar Wright is known for working, it'd be almost like getting Guillermo del Toro to direct a movie for you. Because the guy makes Pacific Rim and Hellboy in a matter of nine years. So I, 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 I'm not surprised. Um, I, I would tend to point back to James Gunn's reaction to it, and I know it's kind of a guy speaking from, well, he's already completed a movie with Marvel. He know, He's worked really, really closely with them. But his reaction being like, it's kind of like when your parents split up, you don't hate both of them, or you don't hate one more than the other. Like, you still like both of them, and you want them to be together, but sometimes you realize some pairings aren't always meant to be. And I, I can definitely agree with the more Joss Whedon trend that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has taken, and like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It's just that it's a bit, maybe a bit too unified. But like I said, I'm not surprised and it doesn't really affect whether or not I'll go see Ant-Man. But they were already down here about to start you're filming. Right. Yeah, you're I mean, right. they, they, like Edgar Wright was here in Atlanta, literally. Yeah. The cast was down here in Atlanta at Pinewood yeah. Studios, literally. So 
something's up. I mean, it's more than just he's just taking too long to get started filming. I mean, that just doesn't that doesn't wash with me anymore because they were already all down here. Production had just about started. So something really screwed up happened. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be the anti-Marvel guy, but when I hear those rumors about script issues, it kind of falls in line with their history with directors a little bit. I mean, think about this. John Favreau almost didn't come back for Iron Man 2 due to money issues. Patty Jenkins walked from Thor The Dark World. You don't see Kenneth Branagh making any more Thor movies. Uh, Joe Johnston walked away from the Captain America stuff. So they clearly have issues with directors in their past. Alan Taylor was apparently locked out of the editing room of Thor The Dark World, according to rumors, which is insane to me that a director can't get final edit of his movie, supposedly. So I don't know. I mean, there are some people that posit maybe that maybe uh, they saw Guardians of the Galaxy and maybe got really gun shy after they realized how much rope they gave James Gunn to work with. Um, which which is, almost makes me more excited for Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Oh, sure. That absolutely can make Guardians of the Galaxy a much better film. But on the other hand, it makes a lot of sense to me that maybe Marvel is uh, getting very controlling of these guys. I'm saying I'd believe either. I'm, I'm saying both rumors are believable, and they're both plausible. And it could be that it's a mixture of the two. But I, I'm just saying it's not something that was completely surprising, and it's not something to write off Marvel completely about. It's it's hard to say how it happened, but it's easy to say that it it's a bad move for them. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean it it's Well it's not one that's gonna lose them money, I'll say that much. It it's it is definitely not a trade up. Um homogeneous, hom- homogenous filmmaking is not a trade up. Yeah. Um I, I absolutely believe that. And um Unfortunately, I mean, it's Disney. They've been doing homogenous filmmaking for 80 years. So. <laughs> I know. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, definitely Disney, I could see that as being an issue. But, I mean, you say that it's not going to affect you seeing Ant-Man. I can tell you what, and you can you can record this right now. I will not go see Ant-Man. I will not do it. Because is there any director they could get that would cause you to change your mind? Absolutely not. Not Nolan. No, not Christopher Nolan. <laughs> no, I swear to God. It, this, is, this is like a moral issue for me. So I, I honestly believe that uh, Edgar Wright, a guy who spent that many years working on a film for that long to be basically shoved out the door, maybe, um, to me, that's a problem. And I don't want to support that. And he is the reason that movie's being made, no? Exactly. Yeah. He went to them with a take. No, they weren't looking to make an Ant-Man film. He and Joe Wright presented that take in pre-production. So to me, that's, that's the biggest issue. I mean, this is That's his good. project, and he's off of it now. What do I care about? Although, at the same time, Ant-Man might have been inevitable along the line, because he is such a huge part of the Avengers history. So Maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe now you'll get Wasp in this movie now, or whatever. Probably. Whatever else you're going to do. <laughs> Cal, let me ask you, is this going to affect you seeing Ant-Man, or are you still going to maybe go see it, depending on the director they pick? Uh, yeah, I mean, before it was... Before, I mean, if, if, if Wright and um, his co-writer Joe Cornish were still on it, I would be, I'd be trying to buy a, you know, um, I'd be trying to buy my ticket today for a movie that came out in 2015. Without them, I mean, if they really impress me and it gets fantastic reviews from like the two or three sources that I trust to review superhero movies... Um, maybe, I mean, yeah, like it's not impossible that I'd go see it, but yeah, I mean, my, my, my level of interest has just dropped like a rock. Like I, 
they'd have to do something real interesting to make me shell out money for this. As is, I don't see the point. I mean, that was that was an Edgar Wright movie, not a Marvel Studios movie. And uh, w- without without him, I, I don't know why I should care. Bingo. Harper, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't have as strong of a stance about it morally. Um, I do find it incredibly disappointing. It, it does suck. But, um, you know, I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm going to see it regardless, probably. And as, as just a, you know, I, I see every superhero movie that comes out. I just yep. do. Um, sure. You know, and, and, my, and like Cal said, my excitement level has dropped dramatically for it. But at the same time, it's 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 almost too early to tell. I mean, I have no idea what the movie's going to be like. We don't even know who's going to direct it at this point. So... I don't, who knows when when he tweeted out that picture of Buster Keaton holding a Cornetto looking sad my heart was breaking and I don't even um, know the guy man I was just like that's that sucks you can see that's a hurt artist right there that yeah. was really passionate about something and I just I, 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 I there's just no way there's just no way I can do it honestly um, but it, it's funny that the the news sort of compounded for Marvel a little bit and this one wasn't really their fault uh, but Drew Goddard has <laughs> left Daredevil, too, over the or weekend. what could end up being the biggest mistake of his career. Yeah, he let, so he leaves Daredevil because he's already contractually obligated to make the Sinister Six Spider-Man spinoff movie. Uh, there's a rumor he got offered Spider-Man 3 as well. Well, then maybe uh, there's some hope for Spider-Man if they change course. Yeah, but... Uh, at least he wrote the first two episodes of Daredevil. So. Right. So Stephen S. DeKnight's replacing him, and they've got a star now in uh, in uh, Mr. Cox from uh, what, what's his name? Charles Cox. I can't remember the actor's name. Charlie, Charlie, Cox. Charlie Cox. Thank you. It's an actor that I'm not that familiar with. Um, he's playing Matt Murdock. Um, Netflix Daredevil. It's my favorite superhero ever. So <laughs> I, uh, if I, he, he looks the part to me. Works works well. Uh, Stephen S. Tonight, I mean, a Buffy guy coming to run, yeah. <laughs> you know, coming to run this Daredevil show, which Drew Goddard was also a Buffy guy. Yeah. Um, another Whedon guy coming in to work this thing. So did Drew Goddard, he didn't have a choice. He was contractually ob- obligated to go do this. That's the him. way they kind of made it sound. And the Drew Goddard thing actually happened like back in March and they're only just now reporting it. Bad timing on yeah, their part. <laughs> terrible timing for that to have come out when it did. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Daredevil could still be interesting and exciting. Uh, I mean, the showrunner for me, for one of these Netflix shows, it's 13 episodes and the things are already in the can. So I don't think it changes a whole heck of a lot because the direction's probably already been set. But uh, I, I don't know. Uh, did Any thoughts on Marvel's big news weekend all, to, all, all together there, Harper? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's nothing else for me to say besides it's just it's a little disappointing. It's kind of a bummer uh, after after such a rush with um with Captain America being such a blast that we all had pretty positive thoughts about. Um, it's disappointing to see them take kind of a, a dive in PR and in just kind of their um their team of of people working on the movies as as they've lost some some goodens. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Cal, any final thoughts? You know, I'm, I'm excited uh, for the Netflix shows still. Um, I'm not I'm not as excited as I was. And that's that's kind of the theme, I guess. Like Marvel Studios has just had a really disheartening, <laughs> disheartening seven days uh, news wise. And maybe when they start announcing their their slates beyond 2015 it'll 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 get a little bit better and put some of the bad 
bad news behind us. But for now, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't like either of those pieces of news, although obviously Wright is far and away the m- more disheartening of the two. Yeah, it's going to be tough for Foggy to bring up uh, Ant-Man in front of that Hall H crowd, because you know they're going to be the most impassioned about Wright leaving. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd be, I, I'm honestly, I'd be shocked if Ant-Man still happened. Like, uh, it'll happen. I, I, I think mean, it will. I, I guess, but I mean, like, without a director who's passionate, without the writers who are passionate, uh, how much do they keep? How much do they change? Who do they bring in at the last minute? And who cares about Ant-Man without Edgar yeah. Wright? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Ant-Man's not, I don't think Ant-Man is that entrenched in the Avengers he, world at all. He's just a life beater outside of the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, and he's not even the creator of Ultron at this point, so... Yeah. I mean, what... what <laughs> all if, he has for him is he, he beats his wife, and he can turn <laughs> little. I mean, what if, what if Paul Rudd... You know, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's stuck in the role at this point. But the guy probably signed up thinking he was going to work on an Edgar Wright Ant Man movie, not Joe Schmo's Ant Man movie. So, I mean, not that Paul Wright, Paul Rudd has been that uh, you know picky in his role sometimes. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying, what if he said, "No, to hell with this. I don't want to do this now." Uh, then maybe. Then maybe. Then. I know Patrick Wilson has already expressed some discontent on Twitter. Really? Just in minor ways. Very, very minor that you could sort of read into. And Michael Douglas, I mean, that's a serious actor to say, not nah, hell with it, I'm not showing up for work. I mean... Well, not to mention, how long are they going to have to wait? Because if they were down here and they were about to start filming, most of these people probably have other projects lined up. So at what point are they no longer obligated to wait? Right. You, you know Paul Rudd does. I mean, he's probably got another comedy in the back of his pocket waiting to happen. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if if Ant-Man shuts down, which is really sucky for the people down here in Atlanta, by the way. Pinewood was counting on that <laughs> to make this studio a big, big attraction. And Marvel, a Marvel Studios film was going to be a, a big pull for them. Um, I mean, it'll probably still happen. and It'll probably happen in some you know, acceptable fashion probably, but all told, I would rather just not, I would rather see them just do something else and find a filmmaker that wants to make, I don't know, Dr. Strange now or black Panther. Yeah. Or captain Marvel, you know, so I mean something that, uh, you know, somebody really wants to get behind. John, the Avengers, please. <laughs> well, yeah. So anyway, that's uh, Hannah. Any, any other thoughts on your end about this whole thing? Nope, that's it. Okay, great. Well, that's it. We're, then, then we'll stop there because I think uh, we've all sort of also recovered it in there. So, all right. Well, we'll see what happens next with Ant Man. Womp womp. And as always, we come back to our pop culture picks of the week. This week, uh, we'll talk about things like comics, television shows, movies, as always, old or new, something we've discovered recently or something that uh, was old sitting on the shelf that we've always wanted to open and we finally did. I'm going to start this time around because I usually go last. I want to go first this time. So uh, in lieu of all these X-Men movie watching talk, I decided to read some X-Men. And the problem I have with X-Men 
is that for me, it's always such a mopey comic book. It's always about humanity hates us. And sometimes that has some really nice thematic strength, uh, particularly as, as it relates to like homophobia and racism. And then sometimes you just want to have a good time reading a comic book. Um, so uh, using my, the power of my Marvel Unlimited subscription, which I'm using the heck out of on Hannah's iPad these days, um, I read the first like 10 issues of Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. Mm. And it is great. It is. Yes. It is spectacular. Um, it is the X-Men book that I've always wanted to read since Grant Morrison's X-Men and new X-Men rather. And basically the premise is this for those who are unfamiliar uh, after a split that sends the X-Men down the middle with Cyclops taking half the team in San Francisco and having sort of a living, a, living on an Island of mutants uh, Wolverine goes and reforms the school for mutants and becomes the school's headmaster. And he takes all the young mutants and he and Kitty Pride are their teachers along with Bobby Drake Iceman and Beast and a number of other people. And it's basically like, uh, I don't know, like X-Men meets Archie. It's really funny, really quick witted. Uh, it's got some great Chris Boccolo art. And uh, it's probably the silliest X-Men book I've ever read, but I loved it. And I can't help but feel a little sad that we haven't gotten more of this kind of thing beyond like ecstatics. Um, it's, a, it's, it's like the perfect mix of Peter Milligan's work and Grant Morrison's work put into a modern day 21st century comic book. So I, uh, well, excuse me, a 2010s comic book. So it's definitely a book that uh, I was really shocked at how much I enjoyed. But Harper, I guess that's something you dug too, huh? Oh yeah, I read the whole series. It's it's really really good up until Avengers versus X Men hits, and then it kind of falls apart a little bit. It's it never gets bad, but it definitely kind of loses its shine when it gets bogged down in the event stuff. Oh no! Well, uh, I'll enjoy it up till then, I guess. Um, then maybe great I'll ending see. though. Really really good ending. This really okay. I, I'm excited to get to the dupe issue with uh, <laughs> with the Mike Allred arts. That's a fantastic one. Yeah, it's it's definitely way up my uh, way up my alley there. Um, but I, I can't remember. Cal, was that one you read too? Or uh, I've read a bit of it. Um, I'd like to read more. I read the first trade and I, I liked it. I didn't I didn't have quite as strong a reaction as as the rest of you did, but I enjoyed it. No, it's uh, yeah, I, I understood. I can see how it wouldn't be for everybody. I mean, it's it's definitely tonally not it's superhero, but not superhero. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of silliness in there too. But uh, I know Shane, you're a big Jason Aaron guy, so oh yeah, I've, I've been meaning to check it out. It's just X Men, just kind of. I love I love X Men, but it's really hard for me to just jump into an X Men book these days. Like the only the only X book I read right now is X Factor, which is good. It's just. It's just hard to jump into multiple X-Men books. Yep, yep. Speaking of which, Peter David coming to Dragon Con 2014 uh, once Ooh, again. Nice. Uh, <laughs> actually show up then because I actually love his run on X-Factor right now. So. Well, please do because we also just announced that Kelly Sue DeConnick will be there this year. So uh, a lot of exciting times at Dragon Con uh, and some bigger announcements coming in a couple of weeks. There, there was that plug. Speaking of which, Harper, <laughs> Harper, <laughs> what was your pick of the week, man, my friend? Well, uh, it's funny that you mentioned I actually started rereading uh, New X-Men this week, too. But um, I would have to go with another comic, um, one that I've been kind of on the edge about, but uh, this newest issue really kind of blew me away, which was uh, Velvet, number five, I believe it was. Um, I'm I'm shocked you're not talking about Saga. uh, Well, I already kind of gushed about that on on, uh, Splash Page, so I'll I'll leave that be. (laughs) That was excellent, too. But uh, Velvet just really blew me out of the water in how 
uh, intricate and uh, and very subtle it was, and I thought the art was really really fantastic in this issue in particular. Um, it's just it's a really it's a refreshingly different thing to be reading. Um, it's so grounded, and but at the same time, very kind of um, it's very complex. It feels like a like a James Bond movie, but there's a lot lot more subtext there. Yeah. Um, so I I really really enjoyed it. Um, this was the one that was. You know, I finally am like, okay, that's it. It's going on the pull list. I'm I'm committed to it. So but you didn't um, have it on your pull list before. I've been getting it every every time it comes out, but I hadn't been. Uh, I've always been a little on the edge, but this issue, hundred percent sold me on it. So I'm surprised you've been able to get it. It's usually sold out in most stores. Uh, that's why I'm putting it on my pull list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, good move. Good move. I haven't read this week's issue or this past week's issue yet because I'm just it bogged down in a million things, but. I'm excited to. I like it. I'm a fan of that book, and I like Brubaker. Um, our friend Mike uh, described that as uh, what would happen if Money Penny was the star of the James Bond movies, yeah. um, which is a really, really cool way to take it. Because I, I mean, as we talked about before, I love that series because it's not a young woman that stars yeah. it either. It's like it's a lady that's in her middle age, which is. I, I feel like it's more like both of you have said James Bond movies. I feel like it's closer to the books than it is like the feel. of Ian Fleming's books than it is to more the movies because the movies, as we know, got a little bit ridiculous after a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no. I mean, other than her like weird like um, flying squirrel suit she wore in, <laughs> in one of the issues where she flies off or scoot or like glides off. That's definitely the only time I've seen her with like weird tech. But uh, it's it, it's great. Steve Epting's doing some of the best work of his career on the yeah. on the series for sure. Um, Cal, I, I don't know. Are you keeping up with that series at all? I am. I'm. I'm a. I'm a huge fan. I think that uh, it's some. I would say you know great work from Brubaker. But I, honestly, pretty much everything he's done re- in the recent past, I've liked uh, quite a bit. But yeah, I, I do. I do agree. Uh, Velvet Number no. Five really takes it to the next level for Man. me. All right, I'm gonna pop it open. I'm gonna read it. Uh, Velvet Number no. Five, and I think a trade paperback must be on its way too, right, Harper? I mean, yeah, this is the end sure, of the first sure, arc, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, don't tell me it's taking a break like all the other image books do. <laughs> uh, you know, but a nine ninety five trade paperback, folks can get caught up real quickly yeah. if they want to read a great spy comic. Um, Hannah, your pick of this week. My pick is not a comic. Well, kind of. Um, we've been playing the Walking Dead video game from Telltale, and that would definitely be my pick for this week. We're on season two, episode three is the one that just came out, and. I love season one. Um, season two, the first episode I was kind of so-so about, but this episode is the one that just completely hooked me. It was so good. And I'm really disappointed that it's going to be another two months probably before we have another one to play. Um, Maybe not, because Wolf Among Us came out about a month and a half. Like, the fourth chapter of that came out today, and I was looking, and it had only been a month and a half since the last chapter. They project Q3 is all that it says. So... <laughs> You know, be that'll be July at the earliest. It, it'll be before the summer's out. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, we uh, we the way we play this game is so funny. It's like me, Hannah, and Daniel, uh, her Hannah's brother, will sit and around the TV. One of us will play. The other two will watch like well, it's a it's movie. Basically, a movie anyway. Yeah, that that's literally what's happening. Um. I was thinking it would actually be kind of a lame game to play on your computer. It's much better suited for the console with a big TV because oh, it really is a more cinematic experience than yeah, anything else. For sure. Walking Dead, maybe, but Wolf Among Us is much better on PC. 
we, we did play a little bit of Wolf Among Us. I showed Hannah that game. Because I talked about that as one of my recommendations a couple weeks ago. And um, we were kind of comparing and contrasting the two games. But uh, Walking Dead is just one of those games. It's like as soon as it's released... Daniel's like, when can I come over and watch? Because he doesn't even want to play. He just wants to watch. Well, let's be honest. You barely play in that that video game. You hit X a couple times, you know... That's about it. Yeah, you make your you make some dialogue decisions. Well, and we scream at you which ones to pick. Yeah, like, you do. You do. I have limited time to pick it, so it's like a panic attack <laughs> trying to set this thing. Um, and then the just the fighting off zombies. I, I don't know. I, 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 do, do have you guys played this Walking Dead game? Any of y'all? I haven't. I played season one. Okay. Yeah, I played season one. I'm waiting for them all to be released. I I don't I don't like the long wait between chapters. I, I couldn't afford to do that with Wolf Among Us since it was fables, but I can do that. With you know, I just love that next time on The Walking Dead. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I can't is, wait! And I love seeing all the percentages at the end of, like, you and this many percentage of players decided to do this. And it's so much better than the TV show. Like, <laughs> yeah. So much better. Uh, it's it, better than the comic, too, I think. I do. I agree with that. I really agree with that these days. Harper though, though Harper may feel differently. I think he's still reading the comic. He may be the only one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I, 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 yeah. Walking Dead season two, I think, is pretty pretty great. It does have one conceit that bothers me, in that, uh, like like we talked about last night, a lot of the actions that are being volunteered are being volunteered on a ten year old girl. Yeah, Clementine, you'd better go do that. It's like she's <laughs> a little kid. There's all these grown ups telling her to do these dangerous missions. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, not having uh, not having Lee around uh, makes things a little little more difficult. Mm. And then, yeah, I know. That's how it ends? I know. You, you can always listen to Lee though if you plug on to Hulu because Hulu's voiceover man is the guy that is the guy that plays Lee. Yep. So you can always uh, you can always hear him that way. Um, okay, Cal, your pick for this week. Oh uh, well, I'm actually going to pick another video game. Um... I never, ever thought I'd be saying this as it combines a number of things that I don't like very much, but uh, Wolfenstein, The New Order. No is, shit. Is my pick. Really? That's awesome. Um, I was expecting Watch Dogs. No, uh, I, 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 saw, I saw a few surprisingly good reviews for Wolfenstein, The New Order, and I decided to pick it up kind of on a whim, you know, knowing that I'd have pretty much all Memorial Day to do nothing but play video games. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm really liking it. Like, I, it fixes almost every problem I have with modern first-person shooters. Um, the writing is really solid, which is, which is rare for a video game. It's, it's not Walking Dead level, but uh, for, for a modern shooter, it's, it's phenomenal. So um, explain to me then, um, because... I, Wolfenstein is one of the first computer games I ever played. Um, I mean, beyond like the old Sierra first games, but um, Wolfenstein was like my favorite shooter of all time. So I'm really wondering, like, what? Tell me about the game. Is it like still in World War II or what? Well, it. Uh, so it's it's apparently a direct sequel to a 2009 Wolfenstein game, which I never played, and I, that doesn't really hurt it at all. Okay. Uh, essentially you play, um, you play a soldier who in 1946, while storming a, uh, German stronghold, a Nazi stronghold, 
gets uh, knocked unconscious, well, gets knocked into a coma, and wakes up in 1960 to find that the Nazis won the war and have taken over the world and have uh, extremely advanced technology that they're using to dominate the world. Oh, wow. Okay. And you kind of launch the, launch the, or join up with the resistance against them and try and reclaim, reclaim the world from the Nazis. Oh man, that sounds awesome. So, um, let me ask you then first things first, does it have like zombie guys in it still? I haven't run into any yet, but I'm still, I'm still running into new enemies all the time. And, uh, this one's going more, it seems towards, uh, I guess like cyberpunk, like you run into a lot of like, uh, um, like cyborg, cyborg ish enemies. Um, as the Nazis have been experimenting with, uh, fusing man and machine and, uh, uh, dog and machine and giant mechs everywhere. So I think it might be a little more sci-fi than fantasy. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm suddenly very interested in this. Um, so what does it fix about first person shooters then that make it so makes this thing so good? Well, it's, uh, it, it, it fuses kind of the old school, uh, first person shooter where you have to explore the environment. You have a limited amount of health. You have a limited amount of armor. You don't just auto regenerate everything the second you stop and, uh, it lets you play it, which, uh, I don't know how many of you play like call of duty type game, first person shooters, but one of the big trends in the last five or six years is you have a whole squad of people. And if you don't do everything perfectly, they'll just kill all your enemies for you. So you could feasibly just sit there and watch the game play itself. And this never does that. I mean, you are, you are alone. Most of the time you, are forced to explore, forced to learn the environments, forced to react. And it's, it's challenging in a way that first modern first person shooters almost never are. Wow. All right. Well, that, uh, that, that definitely is something I am going to have to maybe buy because I love Wolfenstein and I'm not crazy about first person shooters really. Uh, but the idea of getting back into a really good Wolfenstein game, that's a hole in my life that has not been filled for many a year, sir. And uh, something that you might enjoy when you go to sleep, you play Wolfenstein 3D. Ah! <laughs> oh, man, with the moving walls and everything. Well, that's, uh, oh, that, that's <laughs> happening. That is definitely <laughs> happening. Um, got PS3. It'd be the last PS3 game I ever purchased, probably. Um, okay. Shane, wrap us up, man. Take us home. What uh, is your pick of the week? I'm going to go video game as well because this Friday I am going to be uh, finally moving up to next gen because I finally have a reason to. Went to GameStop Monday and traded in my Wii, my parents' Wii that they haven't played in three years, and a whole ton of games, and I put it all towards pre-ordering a real, which was already a nice deal, but now it's going to be even better that I got that money going towards it. Uh, I'm getting a Wii U so I can play the hell out of some Mario Kart for con- the foreseeable future. Okay. I, so- <laughs> I, I am a huge fan of Mario Kart. Like It's like I tweeted earlier today. Like People have their Call of Duties. I guess you have your Wolfenstein and uh, Mario Kart all the way. I will always play a Mario Kart game, and I cannot wait to just get as addicted to this game as I did to Mario Kart Wii. Have they added Sonic to Mario Kart this time? No. Uh, Sega asked them to, and they said no. 
Oh, that sucks. I would... All of Bowser's kids are in it now, and that's what I'm most excited about, because I always play as Bowser, so I'm excited to play as his kids now, too. Uh, I, I, when you said you were jumping to the next generation, I was hoping you were going to put down for a PS4. That... No, no, no. Arkham's not enough to get me to get a PS4, but Mario Kart's enough for me to get a Wii U, especially since it's a pretty great deal. Uh, the bundle that's coming out Friday is $329, so it's only 30 bucks more than they currently charge for a Wii U. And you're getting Mario Kart, a 32-gigabyte Wii U, a Wii Wheel, and a Wii Mote, as well as a code to get one of four games for free as long as you register by July 31st. So you're getting a lot of stuff for only 30 bucks more than they currently charge for the system, and that's it's, it's too good of a deal to pass up for me. Um, and then also knowing I'm going to obviously get Super Smash Brothers by the end of this year when it comes out. Well, that's uh, pretty exciting. Is there going to be a new version of Rainbow Road? Oh yeah, there's two. There's uh, the they redid the N64 one, and then there's the new one. Well, that that is that is awesome, man. I mean, I Mar, Mar, yeah, I've, I've played a bunch of uh, Mario Kart imitators on the PS3, <laughs> but uh, the original is still the one that I always wish would be on a different system, just so I could. Uh, <laughs> Because that's always like the ultimate racing game, as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Um, okay. Well, that's that. We're gonna wrap here, uh, guys. Thanks again, and uh, we'll be back next week. Fingers crossed, and uh, with uh, all sorts of fun comic TV things to talk about. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll see, guys. Talk to you later. See you later. Farewell. Good.